Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. Folks, I have sheets from Miracle Made and ugh, I love them, especially in the summer or in these transitional seasons where your body is like hot and cold and it's just like confused. Here's the deal with Miracle Made they make sheets, okay? But they use NASA inspired technology with silver infused fabrics to make these sheets temperature regulating so that you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. It's so delightful. Traditional bed sheets can also have way more bacteria. It can, they can have more bacteria than a toilet seat, which is crazy. They can lead to acne and allergies and stuffy noses. It's just super gross. My husband is one of these people that gets acne from traditional bed sheets. Um, but when we discovered Miracle Made, his face just cleared up. It was, it's been so great because they have this technology that prevents 99.7% of bacteria growth and it requires up to three times less laundry. Uh, so like I said, there's a self-cooling property for better quality sleep. There's a self-cleaning property. Uh, there's comfort and quality. I mean, they're so luxurious. It's like nicer than sheets you'd find at a five-star hotel. And it's designed for your skin so that bacteria doesn't get all up in your pores. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should try miracle.com slash fake the nation. Whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order them today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo code fake the nation at the checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 30-day money back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get that full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, hello, this is the Fake the Nation bonus pod where we talk about the HBO hit series Succession. The private jets, the bidding wars, and the views from the terrace are all back for the fourth and final season of this incredible show. Don't be confused, this is still the Fake the Nation feed and you will get your regular episode of Fake the Nation on Thursdays, but on Mondays for the next 10 weeks, we will be doing this bonus Succession recap pod. Joining me to talk about all things Succession is the wonderful artist and filmmaker Danielle Derschlag. Um, Danielle, before we get started, can you, uh, I, I want people to understand why I thought you would be perfect to recap this show with me now and, and, and why the two of us would make a good pair. Like listeners know me. I'm a filmmaker. I like talking about filmmaking and, and TV. Um, I love, I've been around media. I've been around gross deal making. I've been in the same room as some really intense wealth without ever having real access to it. Um, but Danielle, you, on the other hand, you have a particular seat at the wealth table. Can you explain to listeners your niche expertise on the matter? Well, first of all, Nagin, thank you so much for having me on this adventure. I'm so thrilled to be here. I love this show. Um, like you, as you know, I am also a filmmaker, so I love talking about filmmaking and production and performance. But one of the reasons why we decided to have this conversation over the course of this season together is because I happen to come from 
family wealth. Now, before everyone gets overly excited, I do not emerge (laughs) from the context of emotionally unwell billionaires. I merely emerge from the context of emotionally unwell millionaires. So it's- Millionaires, right. So there's always going to be a gap between you and the Royce. I mean, jokes aside, there, you know, within wealth, (laughs) there are these strata, right? So like, I don't come from the private plane kind of wealth that this show um, inhabits. But I do know a lot about how uh, family dynamics, issues around control, capitalism, family business versus non-business conversation, all of that is quite familiar to me from how I grew up. And one of the reasons I wanted so badly to be a part of this conversation with you is because this show knows wealth culture in a way that, frankly, I've never seen before on television. So there's lots to discuss. I mean, and it's so good to um, to to sort of start there because you you kind of wonder how do they get wealth culture so so right? And here we are with resident fake the nation expert on wealth, Danielle, who's telling us that they're getting it right. And before we and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna do a, a summary of the show real quick and all of that. But before we get into that. How are you feeling now after the first episode of season four, the final season? What, what did what did you think of the episode in general? Well, first of all, I'll take a quick step back. I think I share the nation's sense of both loss and being impressed that Jesse Armstrong decided <laughs> this is it, right? Because it's such a popular, incredible show. Ending it um, sort of you know, calling it when he wants to, I think is a really impressive move as a maker. I'm sure HBO had thoughts about that. Um, For me, this episode, I wouldn't put it in like the pantheon of amazing episodes from Succession, but it really did function as a first episode of a new season needs to in that it set the stakes. I felt like it really set up the dynamics we're going to be playing with for the next nine episodes. Um, And I thought there were some nice sort of subtle nods to changes that have happened in recent months in the Roy clan. Um, And I'm excited to see those get further fleshed out. What did you think of this first episode? I mean, I so I always like, you know, I always get a little nervous at first episodes of new seasons because there is always a chance that the creator is going to do some sort of this is the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club concept album version <laughs> of a new season. You know what I mean? And thank God this was not a departure in that way. I didn't Correct. need a departure. I didn't want a departure. And this is not a departure. This is we're continuing the show that you love. Um, we're continuing the jokes that you love. And, um, and, and these people are just as fucked up. And here's the new way in which they're fucked up. Um, and just uh, like... As a mention to this being the final season, I honestly, like a, I mean, like a dirty bastard, I would have watched multiple seasons of this show doing the same thing over and over again. That's oh. how much I love the, that's how much I love the dialogue, you know? Welcome to I would have just seen this show. I think we all feel that. I mean, I could watch this yes, until my death. Yes, I was like personally... I was angry with Jesse Armstrong. You know what I mean? I was like, please just keep doing it. Let it be the Grey's Anatomy of HBO shows. I'll do 23 seasons of this. It's fine. I, and over and over. And it's and and Logan Roy never dies. He's 117 and they're still vying for succession. I will watch that. So um, what you're talking about is like a much more family-oriented, dysfunctional version of The Highlander. 
Sort of, you know, there can be only one. It's Logan forever. Yes, yes, forever. I I would have watched that, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it. And I, and it it is admirable. It's so admirable. I would not have personally, as a, as a filmmaker, would not have had the stamina, the, the fortitude to say, this is it. (laughs) I would have just been like, you know, gear up. We're doing this for the rest of my life. Listen, totally understandable. and And that impulse is so, you know, frequent for all the obvious reasons. But I have to say, like, I think what we've learned, you know, in a weird way, all television shows teach you how to watch them as you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with this one in particular, I think we've really learned in a weird sense more about its creator, not his personal story, but his approach to story Mm -hmm, than we mm -hmm. normally would, which is part of what makes this show so singular and so powerful. And what we've learned is that when it comes to story, Jesse Armstrong is, and I mean this only as a compliment, is fucking ruthless. Oh, yeah. He will... Brutal, brutal. What he cares about is telling the story he wants to tell. He doesn't care that we want to see so-and-so more or less. He doesn't care that we're annoyed by X. You know, story is this man's Bible, I think in a way that really benefits uh, the tale we're watching, but it also means innately, if that's where you're coming from, it has to be finite, right? So here we are. Well, let's get into what happens in this episode. I'll just do a quick recap here. And just as we did with season one, episode one, season four opens on Logan Roy's birthday. Only this time the three main children are not in attendance because they are in Los Angeles. And the fact that they were in L.A. was probably the most disorienting part of this episode. But it seems that they finally realize that they should work together. So they're looking at logos for a venture called The Hundred, which is described as Substack meets Masterclass meets The Economist meets The New Yorker. Sign me up for a thing that I would be guiltily never reading. Uh, (laughs) Meanwhile... Doesn't it sound like the thing, like just like your stacks of New Yorkers that I'm like, I'm going to get to that anyway. You know how in cults they talk about word salad? That is corporate word salad. Corporate words out all the way. Uh, Meanwhile, back at Logan's party, cousin Greg arrives at his most Greginess by bringing a subpar hinge date. He's reminded by Logan's assistant slash advisor slash mistress Carrie that we're not at a fucking Shake Shack. This isn't a pre-fuck party. It's a birthday party. Nevertheless, Greg and the selfie-taking app date proceed to go on an off-screen finger-banging spree in a guest bedroom. Greg later finds out that the escapade was most certainly taped by Logan's CCTV. We also learned that Logan's wife, Marsha, is, quote, on a shopping spree in Milan forever. Uh, And a sad and lonely Logan leaves the party and heads to a diner with his bodyguard where he has a minor existential breakdown while ordering soup. Back in L.A., what should come upon the transom but news that Tom Wamscans was on a social date with Naomi Pierce of Kendall's ex-fame and daughter of the Pierce Legacy Media Empire, PGM. This is how we learn that Shiv and Tom are on the outs. But how bad should we feel? Because she didn't love him, love him, even though she did love him. Shiv was momentarily heartbroken until the siblings realized that it's not a real date, but instead Logan Roy courting the Pierces to buy Pierce Media. Turns out the matriarch Nan Pierce, who we meet, uh, you know, in I guess that was season two. Uh, Nan Pierce is open to bids. And after some hemming and hawing, the siblings show up at the Pierce doorstop to make an offer. This forms the crux of the episode episode. It's a bidding war over PGM. In the end, the siblings win with a $10 billion sum. And we'll talk about that sum later. (laughs) Though that's not the end of the episode because the end of the episode is so sad. Shiv goes back to her NYC palace to get some of her less favorite outfits and runs into Tom. 
And together they decide not to talk about what happened between them and to just part ways. They lay down uh, on kitty corners of the bed, holding hands and suppressing tears, but definitely not talking. So, um, you know, we'll let me get into my first question. We're going to talk about Shiv and Tom and the emotional breakdown in a minute. But my first question is really about the end, end of the show, which is actually Logan. There's a brief scene of Logan watching ATN um, as the he's it looks like he's watching sort of like primetime Fox News, right. the 8 to 11 block and a Sean Hannity lookalike um, is on screen, um, though, even a little rounder. A little, yeah, I would say you're right. Yes, you're, you're, you're it's, it's more, uh, yeah, um, a little rounder and a little sweatier, yeah, I felt. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he, and Logan is watching, you know, on his, looks like a lazy boy. Uh, whenever he's watching TV, it looks like the least glamorous of the, you know, rooms that he owns. Correct. Um, and he calls a woman in charge of ATN and says, you know, people watch at night. I'm watching at night and I'm watching basically, quote, a ball sack with a toupee. <laughs> And um and I and I and so I thought it was and, and she said you know I'm gonna handle it so I thought it was really interesting that they ended the episode this way because they also ended episode one season one in a similar fashion we kind of go wide on a bridge in New York City um and we see sort of like all the apartments in you know in in a building um all kind of watching various forms of, um, you know, TV and listening to the radio. Right. And we hear that they're kind of like consuming the news of the Roy family. Um, and so we do kind of end on this, what is America hearing thing? So what did you think of this ending for the episode? Well, I think that ending has, like so much in the show, has a lot of potential readings. The one that that really resonated for me, you know, my overarching sort of thought about this episode in terms of Logan was I thought um, another title for this episode potentially from the writer's room could have been Tell Me You Miss Your Kids Without Telling Me You Miss Your Kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, you know, that is clearly the foundational scarcity that Logan is operating from that he himself cannot verbalize or acknowledge. You see throughout yeah. the episode, he says, food doesn't taste the way that it used to. Unlikely. People don't make jokes anymore. Not true. But <laughs> what he's saying with those lines is, my kids aren't here. Right. right. This sort of wall that I react to, push against, pull toward me, it's no longer part of my structure. And that's very disorienting. I thought that ending absolutely was about America and politics and what everyone's hearing. But to get into sort of the psychological purpose of that moment, yeah. I thought it was um, the show's way of telling us with the absence of his children, there to be his foils, his fighting partners, his whatever. I think we're seeing a man who's about to dig even deeper into a kind of um, detailed control of his empire to gain a further sense of meaning and connection. I don't think that replaces fundamentally kids, but for Logan, it might feel like it could. So part of that, right, that's one of the first times we've ever seen him actually intrude into the daily runnings in a way that's on camera. I think they're telling us we're gonna see a lot more of Logan on the floor, on phone calls with you know people he's never even bothered before, trying to kind of grasp that last phase of deep control, not only because of his mortality, but because he misses his children. And it's, yeah, I think that's the thing. Have you ever heard the expression, America 
sneezes and the rest of the world gets a cold. It's like yes. in, in economic terms. Uh, I think that's kind of like what we're seeing with this scene, which is that Logan is sad because he doesn't have a a good relationship with his kids and he misses them mm. and he doesn't understand love and how to show it. Right. <laughs> and then, and as a result, America has to get the fucking, you know, Fox News channel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. It's like the way, it's like the whimsy of his emotional state plays out um, in the American political sector and it's fucking awful for the rest of us. And for him, it's just like a night on the lazy boy. Well, first of all, I think you're a thousand percent correct. That's exactly right. But also, I, I would argue that's the central argument of the show, that we live yeah. we live in a cultural and political structure where the whims, the psychology, and the confusions of a small group of very extraordinarily wealthy people truly dictate the terms through which most of us are living. That's not only ethically not okay, it's terrifying. And that moment is a perfect example, right? Also, just to go back further to into like another thing in the episode, you know, these three kids supposedly are like off on their own. It's time to be autonomous. We're really going to individuate from dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? They create this insane thing, the hundred, which I thought was such a perfect send up of the So time. funny. Right. It's exactly what these characters would come up with. You know, some amorphous thing that they are calling brilliant, not really knowing what it is or how to define it. And even in that moment, when they've gone to the other side of the country, the mere temptation, right? They're just about to have a meeting with investors for this new thing, the hundred. And what do they do? They realize instead they can buy something that hurts dad. Yeah. And the hundred disappears. Apparently something they've been working on for months. Um, so, right. Yeah, they they were in Dubai. They had the idea. They've been courting people internationally. They've gotten they've had serious conversations with serious people. They're looking at logos. They have a team working on uh, l the landing page and they already have uh, underlings to just, abuse, Nagin. Ex exactly. Exactly. And they uh and it's over. I mean in in and in it was it was it was really the the satire of it was really funny. It also felt like I can't believe that the rest of us have had to live through everyone's ideation period of logo building. You know, I feel like that's what the last, you know, 25 years of American life have been. It's just been like a series of fucking logos. And uh, and, I'm, and I'm like, you know, of things on the Internet. And it's and it's inter it's funny to me that Logan who was, you know, he bristled at the idea. If you'll recall in, in season one, he didn't want to buy Volter or whatever. He right. thought Volter was just a website. He just kept referring to it as a website. At the end of the day, all of these things do feel like just a website. <laughs> to a man like Logan Roy, who built like real companies. Um, and, and the, but, 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 and, but that's what kind of like, business is now um, well, and, and, and that's what they're capable of correct and, and the implications again for us against again are like horrifying so like because these three people cannot emotionally individuate from their father cannot come up with sort of a selfhood that's outside of his system they're going to own one of the two most important news companies in the world and dad's gonna own the other <laughs> yeah and so our options as just normal civilians living on earth is either to get news from these three crazy people or from this one crazy guy like, yeah <laughs> right 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 that's insane 
right? But that's- And that is precisely, I mean- I, w- I don't want to say precisely the world in which we live. I do. I feel like I get a lot of really great news from really great um, sure. above the board outlets. Uh, but yes, the number of owners is increasingly small. And, you know, I don't think all- because this world is so often opaque, which is one of the many reasons I think we're also obsessed with this show. And also the reason why some of my fellow um, friends of mine who grew up in wealth cannot watch it cannot watch it because it's too close what, to what home. Do, it's just too close. It, it makes them feel embarrassed for themselves or what is it? What What is that feeling? I mean, sure, embarrassment. There are things about it that embarrass me too. Um, but my friends who are of an even sort of, you know, I have a couple friends who grew up in an even like, you know, higher level of wealth than I did. And what they say is like, this is not entertainment to me. This is watching <laughs> uh-huh. my own and my family's confusions sort of writ large. You know, because usually that's such an opaque world, right? I think for the average person walking down the street, if you said six families, I made that number up, eight families, yeah. whatever it is, are truly determining through their own psychology and access to wealth and power what you hear and see, how you understand that data, and what you do about it, I think the average person on the street would say, that's insane. Well, maybe pre-January 6th. Now, I don't know. All bets are off. Maybe cons- that's a conspiracy theory, so maybe they would say yes. But generally, right, we don't have access to these kinds of conversations. And this show tells the truth in a really shocking way, which is so much of reality as we live it and experience it is the result of these crazy, insane 1% families making decisions not based on what's rational always, but on what's emotional. Right. And, you know, it's it's interesting that uh, Logan, I think, almost willingly let them have the Pierce business. Mm. And I should also, met, you know, because it's he didn't like, once they said that there was a conversation ending, they got a conversation ending bid of $10 billion, you know, that was sort of it. Logan started at a low bid almost intentionally, I felt like. Yeah. He started on a really low bid. It's like he kind of wanted his kids to have that so that then they would be jostling, you know, for uh, or, or something because he, he wants to be close with them or he wants them around. And the only way he knows to have them around is as enemies. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I, the, the, so the word close kind of here is, is complicated. What does closeness yes. mean for this crew, for Logan in particular? You know, it, it speaks to what I think is another sort of central theme of the show, which is in my experience of wealthy dynastic families, they really function emotionally like mafias, by which I mean the goal is not happiness. The goal is not togetherness through voluntary joy. The goal is like violent enmeshment. Or just like not getting murdered. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's a general human goal, which is great, right? Uh, But But the idea is, you know, no one is allowed to individuate. No one is allowed to have an experience, an identity that's totally separate from this thing. That really matches my experience. So, you know, for these three kids, right, for Logan, like, of course he actually wants them to have the Pierce family's, you know, uh, newspaper, because you're exactly right. That means we're enmeshed again. We're at odds again. If these three kids actually went off and became scuba instructors and Reiki healers and <laughs> floral designers, uh-huh. yeah, you know, yeah. the truth is not only would, this is just my opinion, but not only would the three of them really have to face the 
profound misery and dysfunction of their daily lives, which they get lots of distractions from because of all this conflict, but also the whole thing, Logan, the family structure, maybe even the business stuff might kind of crumple a little bit if these kids aren't there for him to toy and fight with. Enmeshment is his goal. And part of the tragedy of the show is that I don't think the three children fundamentally understand that. So they believe the words sometimes that he's saying when what he's actually saying is never individuate from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's absolutely right. And and there's, you know, over the seasons we've seen Shiv flirt with individuation. She's she was in politics. Um she was out of politics. She sort of at the beginning of of this episode, she talks about having conversations with who I assume is the Democratic candidate um in the presidential race, which is the back, you know, in the backdrop of the season. And by the way, that um, surprised me again because we've she stood in that photo with the fascist. Oh, she's done a photo with the fascist. Yeah, but she's still Shiv Roy, who has every connection in the world. So it doesn't matter. I mean, I think for a Democrat, it's, you know, it doesn't matter. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, more succession. Today's show is sponsored by Paired. And oh my God, me and my husband have had such a great time using Paired. We had this conversation recently because one of the questions that the app gave us was how do you personally express your love for your partner? I had some really ridiculous things that I was sharing with him that he sort of like totally saw as like, oh yeah, that is how you you show your love for me. Like one of those things is he's like very sensitive to windows being open without the screen being there or like shades not being drawn at night or like just stuff involving windows. And I'm the kind of person that doesn't care about that. So I show my love for him by like doing those things because I know... (laughs) He cares. And he recognized that as like a very weird form of showing your love for someone. And then I was like, I should actually do more exciting and interesting things for him. One of the ways he shows his love for me is by wearing the clothes that I buy him, which he doesn't always want to wear. But he does because he knows that I love like seeing them. P.S. I feel like he looks better when he wears the clothes I buy him. All right, that's just a side note. But point is, we've had these really fun conversations because of paired and it's as you've now guessed a relationship app for couples you and your partner you download the app you pair together and every day paired gives you questions quizzes games it's a way to to have fun stay connected and deepen your conversations and I think you know when you get to a certain point I mean me and my dude have been together for like 10 years so it's kind of great to have this external entity like giving you these questions and inspiring new forms of conversation that you hadn't thought of in these 10 years. And so, I don't know, I highly, highly recommend Paired. It's so fun. Um, whether you're a new couple and you could you could really use some some questions to get th- to deepen things, or you're a couple that's been around the block and you could use these questions to kind of like find new and interesting things you didn't really know about each other. Either way, it's time to lighten the mood and have fun with your partner by using Paired. Head to Paired dot com slash fake the nation to get a seven day free trial and 25% off if you sign up for a subscription. Just head to paired.com slash fake the nation to sign up today. Connect with your partner every day using paired. A happier relationship starts here. Go to paired.com slash fake the nation. 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And we are back. Let's talk now about the uh, the Tom and Shiv situation. Mm. Um, it's interesting because on the side, Tom, you know, at, at the party, Tom has a conversation with Logan where he says, like, what if basically your me and your daughter were to divorce? We would still be cool, right? And he's and 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 Logan was said based something like, if we're cool, we're cool, which was kind of like a nothing answer uh, that was not at all reassuring, which I think means that Tom still has to just constantly work at being a lapdog, you know? Um, you, can I, can but, I agree, but also disagree a little bit? Yeah. I, I, totally true. Tom is still needful of Logan's assurance, which does not exist. But I noticed some shifts here. Tom mm-hmm. is speaking at a lower register with Logan than he used mm-hmm. to. Yes, he's, he's more comfortable. He's more comfortable. And you might remember a really interesting small moment from this episode where he calls him Loge. Loge, yeah. So, like, like, not to push against your central point. Absolutely, Tom is not in a place of security. But I think he's more comfortable, Nagin. A, a few months have passed right. uh, since the the main betrayal of the final season, of the right. final, of the episode, last episode. Um, and in the last episode, like, we we see Tom betray Shiv, choose the dad over her, and and he's had some time to sit with it. They've had a few dinners, you know. They've probably sat on a, a, some adjacent lazy boys in that time, and you know they've grown. He's definitely grown more comfortable. He's grown more comfortable with his betrayal. He's also grown more comfortable with choosing. You know, I think he was in love with Shiv. That was always my position, that he actually did love her. Was he marrying a family? Was he marrying wealth? Was he doing... Yes, he was absolutely doing all those things. Right. But that he was in love with her and she could destroy him. And I think in Italy where she said the thing about, I don't, you know, where they were doing, I don't love you, you know, but I love you. Um, classic dirty talk, everybody. Classic. 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 I mean, classic. Who's not into it? Who's not here for it? It's, yeah, it's it's fireman. Uh, <laughs> it's woman lost on the side of the road. And it's, um, I don't love you. That's the trifecta. Um, yeah, that's it. But it's interesting to see Tom choose power over love um, or power over loyalty. Uh, I don't know. What did you think about? I, I also think it's interesting that they they're so incapable of having conversations about feelings. In that final scene with Tom and Shiv, all they can do is just sort of cry, facing opposite directions, um, laying on a bed, holding hands, and and all she could say was sort of like, "He was like, well, do you want me to leave? Do you want to leave?" And she's like, "Well, I'm tired, so you can just stay here, like right there." <laughs> On the bed. <laughs> Which is her way of saying, 
I'm I'm so hurt and I still have feelings for you and this is really hard. It's like she couldn't say any of that. She just said you can sit right there. You know, there's a there's an interesting reading of this show that's been uh, written about and talked about quite a bit, which is that we're really t- looking at a wealthy version of what happens when three children are emotionally abused over decades and never heal. Yeah. Well, that's a very, I think, valid reading of what succession is, amongst many other things. You know, in that scene with Tom, if there's a moment where you can really pinpoint the limitations emotionally for Shiv because of her upbringing, because of the two people who happened to raise her, I use raise in quotes, but you know, who tried, yeah. <laughs> who brought her yeah. up. Um, you can see in that moment, she's grown up in a culture where vulnerability is death. Yeah. And she's also grown up in a culture where we never, when it comes to emotional content, not business content, we never tell the full truth. Those are the two sort of guiding posts of the family emotional culture she grew up in. So the problem is, fundamentally, when you reach a crisis point and your marriage falling apart is a crisis point, if you cannot be vulnerable and you never tell the full truth about your interior life, even to the people closest to you, that's one of the mainstays of this show, how can you walk through anything together? My strong impression, I'm curious if you agree, is that they have not talked about the betrayal once. At all. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. They haven't talked about the betrayal at all. And it's interesting because, you know, you and you get that feeling when Tom does the pull aside with Logs. Um and <laughs> and and is like, what if we what if we get a divorce? It's like they ha- he's so he's he's treading on this con he's talking he's bringing this up and he's like in a such a confused way partly because he's so confused because his because Shiv has not clarified kind of anything, right? Right. And they he hasn't asserted let we need to have this conversation. We must. And all and and we're just piecing together, okay, so now Tom and cousin Greg are running around Manhattan calling themselves the disgusting brothers, which is <laughs> I don't totally disagree. I kind of liked it as a name for them. I think it's got I kinda some, liked it's it as a name for zing. them. Yeah. I also I, I also think what's what's also funny is watching cousin Greg, you know, who we meet in season one, episode one, in some you know, in a beat up I don't know what type of car that was, but it was a I think a, it's officially it, it, called a shitbox. Yeah, it was like a yeah, a, a, a total shitbox in which he was hotboxing. <laughs> Correct. And <laughs> that's how we meet Greg. And to see him sort of embrace wealth, embrace power, but also be in his twenties, you know what I mean? And just on dating apps and being a disgusting brother. Like to me, it's 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 so funny because I think you in your twenties are making decisions and doing stuff without the weight of the world on your shoulders. I mean, I think the minute you hit 30, you start to realize like you need to earn money, you need to have a serious career, you need to, things need to like happen for you. At least, this is by the way, New York timeline, because I think people arrive at those conclusions a little earlier in the rest of the country, but in New York, adolescence goes on until about 45. Yeah, at a minimum, Um, for sure. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so it's interesting to see Greg kind of, um, 
have a little bit more sexual confidence. <laughs> <laughs> For, can I say a couple of things? First of all, I want to, wherever you are, Jesse Armstrong, I want to thank you so profusely for letting the scene where Greg and his partner finger bang exist only in our minds. That yes, very easily. Need to see it. I mean, all you need, right? Apparently, if Tom is telling the truth, always a question in this show, every room has a camera. As a filmmaker, right, your first thought is, great, we'll get an overhead shot, grainy footage of these two people finger banging. I really want to thank Mr. Armstrong for not putting me through that. I just I just truly appreciate it. <laughs> right. For as 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 Greg put it, rummaging in her pants. <laughs> <laughs> Greg's use of language is so incredible. Um, but I have to say, in all honesty, Greg was the weak point for me in this episode. I mm-hmm. was hoping for a much more exciting um, arc a bigger shift because you know that moment on the yacht which i believe was from last season where we see greg for the first time say yeah i like this champagne it's not my preferred champagne you know there are other (laughs) vintages that i like that to me felt like a really exciting starting point for him truly becoming a member of this world really taking on the entitlement the sense of grandiosity i kind of felt in this episode like the only growth or shift was that you know, I guess Greg is dating more actively. He still seemed kind of buffoonish. He seemed... Well, it's not... I, I mean, a guy like that isn't going to have... Growth is such a... He's going to have an arc, but I don't think it's like going to move to the... It's going to be a positive arc, oh, you know? Oh, for sure. But I do think... The arc of his of his universe ends in pants rummaging, I think. Oh, like, no. I don't... You know, again, because he's a guy in his 20s. Like, what do we expect? There's these, there's these hilarious theories that Greg will end up being... And we'll get into our predictions later. But that Greg will end up being, you know, CEO of, uh, of Waystar Royco. Like, that's how... The, the, you know the ridiculous end of the show will be um sort of like sort of like the end of um 30 rock of run reminery recently the end of 30 rock is that kenneth becomes the ceo uh, in place of alec baldwin (laughs) so there is a world where ridiculous cousin greg is that guy but i just I, i i like the idea of seeing him as you know, the kid who's on dating apps who just also happens to have to be in this world. And then well, the other person I want to be yeah. in this world. Right. We're, oh, right. We're definitely watching someone who has signed no, right. up for Choosing. ethical compromise. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. For funding. From, from, but, but, from but, epi- episode two or whatever of the, of the show. But just he from a storytelling perspective, like from a filmic storytelling perspective, you know, one of the reasons why I'm hoping for more um, surprises or more shifts in Greg's arc is because, you know, frankly, I think it could get a little repetitive to just see buffoonery from him. Um, I've Uh always been so excited when we have these glints of desire, social climbing in a really tangible way from Greg because I love the stupid goofery, but I want a little contrast too. And, And that was missing for me in this episode. Um, I want to just touch on Conrad Roy here. He, uh, he's still with his, I guess now fiance. They're planning on getting married on some sort of a boat. Um, he's holding strong at 1% in the polls because his presidential bid is still delusionally happening. Right. Um, and he's really holding on to 1% as like being a part of the conversation. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think this relates to a very specific component of wealth culture, <laughs> this scene. Um, yeah, let's hear it. From anyone else's perspective, if you don't live in this insane world of privilege, this and, and for a lot of people inside the world of privilege, right, what he's doing seems so pathetic, and it is. But I think to go back to this theme of individuation versus enmeshment, none of these people have ever developed an individuated separate sense of self, including him. Being at 1%, meaning being in the conversation, as he likes to say a lot, I think for this character feels like proof that he's done something without or beyond or beside dad. And so for us, it looks like just so fucking stupid and insane yeah, right, to, right. to be that, you know, sort of tethered to your 1%. For him, you have to remember, this is the first time he's done anything where the, On his own. where the mention of him publicly isn't exclusively uh, Logan's son was there. This is where, right. it's a, you know, this is a person who has a platform. It's insane, ridiculous, and dangerous. This is a person who has desire for ascendance, right? He, for him, this is a self-defining moment because he's never been able to kind of get off the mountain of Logan's personhood. So I totally understand the emotional reasoning and it's enjoyably insane. And it's funny because they're having a conversation at the at Logan's birthday party where he says, I'm holding on at 1%. If I, you know, I could spend $100 million and Bridget, who's uh, Greg's, you know, um, hinge date, says, oh, could would $100 million, like, would that help you win or whatever? And they're like, no, 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 no. It'll just keep my 1% in the polls. And it's like, you know, and he's like, is he going to spend the $100 million? And the, and uh, and his fiance, I can't remember her name. Do you remember her name? I think, is it Willa? Willa, that's right, that's right. Um, says, uh, you know, if you spend, you know, well, if you spend $100 million, you'll still be really rich, you know? And he's like, oh, yeah, just, but minus $100 million. Do you think, think she the, knows the number? The throwing, the, yeah, the, I mean, she must. I mean, she must know the number, oh, right? Oh, yeah, I don't be, know. I don't know again. I don't know. Oh, you, you think, think you think you think at, at minus a hundred million, he's not as rich? I don't know, but I'm not confident that she knows. Uh, you know, in right, the, right, right. In in those kinds of marriages that I've been sort of adjacent to, that I've seen, it is rare that the partner who is not coming from wealth, who might be there predominantly because there is wealth in some scenarios, right. which is the case here, it is very rare, especially at the beginning, especially pre-marriage, that they have full financial disclosure. Yeah, I guess you want to keep them in the dark, right? Because you don't want them to know. What you exactly want them to know is that possible. is that I have everything. You'll never need for anything. And that's all you need to know, right? Yeah. So I actually read that moment. It could go a lot of ways. I'm not sure. But one of the ways to read that moment is she's really confident of that because she doesn't know that it's not true. Um, I also read that moment at, you know, there was a lot of numbers throwing around in this episode. Uh, there was just a lot of a hundred million on the, in this conversation, the bidding war that, you know, they were starting at 6 billion and then is 6 billion insulting. Yes, it is. You know, um, I mean, I think, I thought the Nan Pierce way of, you know, she's the, She's the sit-in, I think, Danielle, for me and you. If we were billionaires, um, <laughs> like you know, Nagina, uh, being I, I, like I, I dis- really, I'm insulted by that. You think we'd like vinegar wine? 
You don't think we could move but past just, vinegar this wine? This is the idea of someone who's like, no, 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 no. I do, um, you know, esteemed. I, I have an esteemed uh, media company, you know, because that Pierce Media is sort of like this New York Times meets Condé Nast, whatever, like something that's esteemed and and maybe kind of liberal and hues to the facts or whatever, but it's nevertheless about making money, you know, and she's in this negotiation about money uh, like, oh, the, you know, people are throwing around these numbers, seven, eight, nine. I mean, I don't even know what's next. I don't like talking about numbers. It's disgusting. Just, <laughs> this is disgusting. It's, just, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And obviously it, it is disgusting for the record. Sure. But she's so absolutely just going for it. You know what I mean? Obviously, because she wants that money. Oh, the, so I am so obsessed with the Pierce family in this show and the contrast of these two different wealth cultures between the Logan crew and Nan's crew. And one of the things I love about how they show her wealth culture, which is a version of wealth culture I've definitely seen and I'm aware of, is like identifying with righteousness through yeah. greed. Yeah. So, you know. You, you could say, oh, she's way better than Logan. She's nice. She offers you drinks. You know, she wears a flowing white garment. Her news doesn't lie. There's a lot of things you could say that make Nan a much better person. At the end of the day, she is as ruthless as Logan is with a different delivery. Fundamentally, yeah. let's, let's say what happened here. She sold one of the most important truth-oriented news brands in the world to a group of petulant, Inexperienced. Inexperienced, unhappy, messy siblings to get her family, who already all have trust funds up their tushies, there's no question, that many more billions of dollars. What fundamentally, ethically is the difference between oh, her and It's Logan? so funny because it's also she was talking about like, oh, uh, like we kind of like we need the money. It's like, you know, Janet had a divorce and Cheryl's accident in Maine. You know, it's like, what? Those two things that, you know, how much is that costing you? You need $10 billion because one of your kids had a divorce. It's just it was so is she tried to make it sound grounded like these this 10 billion it's not for me it's 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 because my kids you know she believes it's grounded which is incredible but you know listen in a capitalist structure all of us no matter where we fall on the class line we're all living in capitalism one of the central kind of existential questions of capitalism is what's enough and right. i think for people who are not you know from a wealth background it seems so obvious, so glaringly evident that these people have more than enough, which they do. That doesn't mean that they don't live in the same capitalism that tells them it's not enough. They and I do. have to tell you, as someone who's been in, you know, around like a more in the like Hollywood way. Mm. Like, I mean, we all know me as a dirtbag comedian and I am very much of that ilk, <laughs> but I've like very occasionally been invited to non dirtbag situations. Mm. And in those, and you've heard about them, Danielle. And I in know. those situations, I've also, I, I, I want to say, I don't know that I would be any better than Nan. I want to think that I would be better than Nan. Like my goal in life is to try and be better than Nan. <laughs> but I can picture it. I can because I've, there's been some moments where I where I'm like at a thing and I'm like, oh, I don't, 
I disagree with the values of this thing I'm at. <laughs> and, yes. But I'm still like, but yes, you know, uh, pass me the uh, the filet mignon, please. And and so that also happens because we're human beings and it's like you dangle a shiny thing in front of us and you're just like, oh, I want to see what that's like. Yeah. And bizarrely, but truthfully, that also happens at the very top of the economic scale. Oh, so-and-so has three yachts? Oh, right. That must be amazing. Why do we only have this one? I mean, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing (laughs) and insane and it makes no sense. But emotionally, right, like from the sense of sort of capitalism plus feelings, it totally makes sense. I once knew um, someone from a background similar to mine. We were having coffee many years ago, and this person told me he couldn't raise kids in New York City because you obviously cannot raise kids in New York City without a private plane, and he couldn't have one yet. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) that's someone who really believes he's he's comparing himself to his peers. In his context, his peers all had private planes and talked about how it was so important. Danielle, as a parent, and you've met my daughter, how could I possibly do this without having my private jet? Nagin, that's why I was so glad when you finally got one. I want that kind of relief for you. Um, but, but wait, but, but I know we, we don't have much time, but can I just put in like one comment here that like two little filmic things that are haunting me yeah. from this episode? Yeah, please. One is this show is famous, quite correctly, for its incredible wide shots. What we mean by that is like these shots that show everything happening in the scene, you know, where, the room, yeah. where you can see people, their full bodies, and you can see all the action in the room. Uh, more so than most shows that are contemporary shows, it really stays in that wide shot quite a lot because it. this is a show about a world as much as it's about individuals. This episode had more medium close-ups, close-ups than almost episode, any episode I've ever seen of a succession. I don't know if that filmically is like hinting at something for this season being a more intimate season or if it was a different decision, but it's something I want to kind of, you know, put a bookmark on. So as we keep going, we can see whether or not that remains. I was really surprised yeah. at how close the camera was on this. Well, it was it was like it was the, the camera was almost being like, hey, uh, are you guys going to do some real feelings talk or <laughs> no? We'll we'll hang out here in front of your face until you tell us a feeling. You yeah, know? like if we're this close. What the camera was doing. If we're this close, can you fax? Can you like have a facsimile of like what a human would do? That's kind of right. what's happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. The other thing I want to bookmark, which I could be totally insanely wrong about, but it's just really glaring for me. Um, this show is so smart about its visual choices. Nothing is by accident, and. One of the differences between this and the first ever episode of the show, both, as you noted, are about Logan's birthday party happening in the same physical space, is we now have Carrie, Logan's assistant, advisor, potentially his lover, although everyone's saying that in the show, we haven't seen proof of that but it probably she has a little lover yeah she she talks to him in a lover vibe i agree she's got the vibe she's wearing a light blue suit okay in her scenes she's the brightest color in every room that she's in yeah and i went back and sort of just quickly scaled through the episode every other character is almost exclusively in neutrals in this episode. Interesting. Interesting. The Pierce okay. family are in black and white, mostly white. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the people wearing black in the family hilariously are the ones that we know who do drugs. I thought that was quite funny. Um, you know, like the, they're they're more contrasty. They're wearing black and white. Nan's in all white. In the Roy family, it's all browns and light blues, very muted, very gray. And then all of a sudden we have Carrie in this bright, saturated, jewel-toned yeah. suit. I think through costuming, we potentially are getting a little bit of a hint about 
how central Carrie might become in the arc of this season. It's just a guess. She had, she definitely had more dialogue in this episode than she's ever had before. She's been trickling in for a while, and this was the the largest Carrie stream, if you will. Now, before we end the episode, I just want to um, ask you for predictions. Uh, wh- how do you think we're, this season will end? You know, from a filmmaking standpoint, it seems to me that it makes the most sense that it ends with a bang. So, like, Logan dies and, I don't know, everyone goes to physical war with each other in a closed room or one of the siblings literally has a mental breakdown. There's a million ways it could go. If it's actually going to continue with the emotional logic of how the show works and how this family works, the Roys, I think it will be the same, the same, the same. I think this the, the, the depressing end of this show for me is we're still cooing, we're still grasping, nothing fundamentally has changed. Um, I don't know if that's narratively possible to kind of keep the show going, but it, it makes the most psychological sense for me. And also, if you think of Jesse Armstrong's like overarching kind of message here about wealth, it's that this loop is endless. So making that somehow manifest, the endlessness of this emotional loop that impacts all of us so poorly, that makes the most sense to me. Um, that's interesting. I, I mean, my mind changes about this every day, but I think, you know, I do remember, uh, an interview with Jesse Armstrong where he said, sort of says like, it's in the title, like you're going to get a succession. Um, I think he, he said something like that. I'm paraphrasing a thing I don't fully remember, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I think we will see succession and, um, and I think I think you're right that Logan Roy sort of has to step down or die and that, the, you know, and it'll be the kids or it won't be the kids. But either way, the kids will be unhappy because it's never been about succession being the answer to their problems. Uh, quite the so, opposite. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, um, I'm here for all your predictions because as as it, I'm also here for the cousin Greg theories <laughs> cousin greg are. ceo of waystar royco thank you everyone for listening to this show and i just want to thank everyone that makes this show a possibility that's our wonderful producer andrew mcguire thanks to everyone at headgum for making this show a possibility and special extra super duper thanks to gabby alter for our succession inspired uh fake the nation remix uh, theme music for this episode. I think it's fantastic. I love this music so much. So special thanks to Gabby Alter. You know where to find me on all of the things. You can email us at fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com with any suggestions you have for the Succession Recap Pod. We will be here for every week of the um, Succession final season. So join me and Danielle. Otherwise, we will be back in your earballs on Thursday. That was a headgum podcast. <laughs>